Wow, wonderful. Thank you so much, praise team. Uh, if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the text this morning is going to be Matthew chapter 5, verses, there we go, thank you, brother. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 48. 21 through 48, right? Uh, so uh, you can tell I've got a lot of work to do here in order to cover that kind of text with you. I don't know that we'll get through all of it, but we're going to get through as much of it as we possibly can. I want us to get it, is my main idea. Uh, I want us to get what, the God, what God's Word says to us. Uh, this is going to be, uh, for me, um, what Jesus gets into. Let me put it on Him, because He's the one who taught it and who wants it for our lives. This gets into relationships, and relationships, all of us have them, right? We all have them, and sometimes um, we have some that we're not as proud of as others, perhaps. We have a history with folks. And, and can I share with you, you know, what I would go to with the Bible is this. A lot of times I come to the Bible and I think, man, wouldn't it be great if God were just to tell us in every relationship, every situation, exactly, perfectly, in every way, exactly what to say and what to do. So I could consider that and then reject it and do what I wanted to do. Wouldn't that be great if I could do that, right? The, the concept for us here would be very simple. All we'd have to do, instead of Old and New Testament, we just have, I mean, we take male and female, right? Male and male relationships and female relationships, and then we could categorize this. Right? We've got an idea going on here, right? The New Bible. What we could do is we could categorize in each of these different testaments about male and female, then we can categorize the different relationships we would have. So we would have relationships in for dating, we would have relationships for co-workers, we'd have relationships for classmates, and we could just kind of go down through, we could tab it on the side, and we could just find the tab and look up the relationship there, and then we could find what comes next. We're going to have to find the temperament of every person in those categories, right? And then we would have, how thick would that book be? That'd be a thick one, wouldn't it? But we would have a relational guide for every gender, for every a relationship for every temperament and we can look there in that and we want sometimes God to do that for us we want him to tell us exactly perfectly what to say how to act how to read body language wouldn't that be sweet we could learn how to read mood because God would just say boom do this and so when we come to Matthew chapter 5 I would say to you that we're not going to find that we're not going to find that. In fact, Jesus, and get this idea, this picture for us, is that God is a relational God. God is a God of relationship. Don't miss that because so many people, so many of the Jewish people, missed that in the Old Testament. And they said, hey, in the Old Testament, we've got instructions about how He wants us to do things. We're just going to do that. And what they found, I'm afraid, was this, is there's a whole lot of things there that, that were blank, that were empty, that they said, well, we don't know how to, how to relate to God specifically. We just know how to do what He says. God is a God of relationship. He's a God of relationship. And so as a God of relationship, He doesn't tell us in every situation, now, I understand the Word of God, I'm a fan, I'm an advocate of the Word of God, but He doesn't tell us Every gender, every relationship, every temperament, every mood doesn't tell us exactly, perfectly what to do. But instead, God's plan is this. God, who is by definition, He's spirit and therefore invisible, God then at the appropriate time becomes man. What a wonderful way to show us 
This is how God relates to us. He becomes one of us, and then He lives among us. That's the idea behind Matthew 5. So when He begins to preach, when Jesus begins to proclaim the truth of God, in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount is what we're walking through, you're not going to find detailed explanation about your specific situation. Here's why. You're going to find a giant, flashing, steakhouse, fish house kind of sign that says, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And so the concept for us, and this is, uh, if you have sermon notes, or if you want to take sermon notes, I invite you to do that. The concept for us in Matthew chapter 5 is this, is that Jesus is going to talk for the next 27  verses or so here. He's going to address relationships, and he's going to, ironically, just touch on a few of them. A couple of issues that you may encounter. He will not touch on in the Sermon on the Mount every relational issue you ever have. He doesn't do that. But instead, he touches on just a few of the relational issues that you have, and he says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to think. I want you to think in your relationships. I've given you some examples in the Sermon on the Mount. And now I want you to think about what would honor God in your relationships that you have. In the situations that you encounter, what honors God? Okay, a lot of weird stuff's going on this morning in the service, right? All right, wonderful. Okay, skylight, no. All right, so... So here's what we get into in Matthew chapter 5. Our goal is to think about the relationships that we have and think about how they can honor God. And so we'll pause here for the invitation time at the beginning, all right? The invitation time, here's what we'd say. I'm going to uncover every time I go to Jesus and I see Jesus' example and I see how Jesus engaged women and I see how Jesus engaged people who hated him people who persecuted him, people who murdered him, I see an example of God in Jesus. And then I match my life up to his, and I'm short. I come up short every time. And so that leads me to repentance. That leads me to say, I'm not doing relationships always perfectly the way that God wants me to do relationships. That's where we're going to all get to together. And it's good that we get there together because We're a community of faith where we want to recognize how we don't match up to Jesus and then grow together to make it right, to honor Him. All right? So here's what I want to do with you. There is, if you're drawing a little chart or if you've got a little chart that maybe I was able to hand one out to you, let me see, do I, am I doing this? Can you turn this over to me, Garrett? Yeah? Can I? Can I? Yeah? No, I can't. Slide over one time for me, Garrett. There you go. Slide one more time for me. And then one more time would be three, right? There we go. So here's what we have, folks. Thank you so much. Here's what we have then. We're going to talk as we read through this text. There's different six different sections, actually. And we're going to see in this text that Jesus, number one, he identifies an issue that you're going to have in relationships. And you say, well, I never have that issue. Great, hang on, all right? Because you ain't done yet, all right? But we're going to find this issue that we're going to have. Jesus immediately then points his original audience and us as well to the Old Testament law. Now, we saw last time that we were together last week that Jesus is not saying, and this is why he does this, Jesus is not saying, man, that Old Testament law, it's done, it's over, we shouldn't do that anymore, we should forget about that stuff. No, but he says he comes to fulfill the law. 
And so the original audience that's hearing Jesus proclaim this sermon has a problem. They hear what the law says. They know they have an issue in their relationships. And the law just simply turns the light on to say, hey, I ain't doing this right. I'm, I'm messing this relationship up. That's what the law does. It exposes the sin, but it doesn't tell us sometimes specifically how to fix the relational problem. All right? So we get into this concept, that third column is our struggle that we have. And my struggle is broken down to, in one major category, I'm a sinner. Okay? You need to know this about me. I am a sinner. We are all in that same boat together. As a sinner, there's two little things that I seem to do. One, I have feelings. Okay? You have feelings, I have feelings. So turn to the person next to you and say, I have feelings. Yeah, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? Right? The guys were like, I don't want to. <laughs> the ladies were like, I have feelings. You know, that's pretty fast. Great. So here's the idea. I have feelings as a sinner. And so work with me here just for a second. If I have feelings as a sinner, then my feelings are often influenced by my sinful nature. Okay? Here's how this works. If we have three pieces of cheesecake in my refrigerator, right? And I do keep count of how many pieces of cheesecake are in my refrigerator, right? If I go to my refrigerator and two pieces are gone, my feelings are hurt. Why? Why? I wanted it all. See, that was a trick when my wife got that. Y'all didn't. I wanted all three pieces, Tim. You're saying, well, there's still a piece left. Where did you learn math? I wanted three pieces of cheesecake, and somebody was selfish, and they ate two of them, which hurt my selfish feelings. You get that? So I have feelings. Now, here's the idea that Jesus is going to encounter with us as we just set the stage for the text that we're going to read. You ready? Since I'm a sinner and since I have feelings, my feelings are influenced by sin. And sometimes we are content and we say, okay, my feelings are hurt, so I'm just going to have my feelings hurt and I'm going to be okay with that. Right? Y'all do that? Not me. Not me. No, no, no. When my feelings get hurt, then I begin to react to my feelings. Y'all know how I react to my feelings? Lots of ways. Brood. Pout. I do those things. Y'all do those things? Point at somebody if you know somebody in here that does those things. Quit that. I'm just kidding. Here's the idea. So my feelings are sin-based feelings. And then my sin-based feelings oftentimes produce sin-based actions. Right? Now that sets the stage, I hope, for us. My sin-based feelings then produce eventually in me sin-based actions. Which one's sin? For me to be a sinner. Okay? Don't miss that. And then the last category we're going to get into here is this, is the value, because Jesus sends a very clear message about what we should value in our relationships. Let's see if we can get into it. Join with me, Matthew chapter 5. And let's, uh, let's pick our first one here, all right? Our first one's going to be anger, right? Is this me? Yeah, anger. Thank you so much. Anger. So the idea with anger, if you pick up with me in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to start in verse 21. And here's what he says. This is ESV is what I'm reading from. I hope you can follow along. It says, uh, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. What did he do there? Jesus tells us the law. He tells us them the law. 
He's connecting with his audience. You've read the Old Testament, he says, to this Jewish-based culture. He says, you've read this before. You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder, and whoever commits murder will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry, say this with me, angry, you ready? Angry. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. That one sounded pretty serious. So if you were offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. I really wish Jesus would explain that more, but here's what he says. If you're in a worship setting and you're worshiping, you're offering your gift, whether it be financial gift or whether it be your praise gift, whether you're singing or whether you're being discipled, whatever it is that you're doing, but he says if you're there and the Holy Spirit reveals to you that you have done something that has offended spiritually, has offended someone else, a brother specifically, which means another follower of Christ, if you're worshiping God, he reveals to you in that worship setting that you have sinned against another Christian, specifically in context. He says, go. Stop worshiping. Get up and go. Why? I'll show you. Watch this. It says verse 24. Uh, verse 24. No, is that where I got to? Where did I get to? It says, uh, it says uh, verse 24. Let's say that. It says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Why would Jesus tell us to do that? He says, come to terms quickly with, the, with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and judge you, judge to uh, and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison truly i say to you you will never get out until you have paid the last penny so jesus says obviously there are a lot of stuff and i want to show you just how it kind of fills into this so we can just touch on it introduce it and i'd say to you if you struggle with this relationally i'm there with you and I would love to walk with you through it, love to talk with you about more about what God's Word says. I can't give you a full picture of all the text that the Scripture would provide for us on this. Let's just see what Jesus says. Jesus says this, watch with me. He says, now the law says this, do not murder. So if that's all we have, folks, and you would realize this, you would come in this morning and you would say, hey, did I kill anybody this week? That's a pretty measurable goal, right? Yes, six. No, if that's you, come to the altar. Brother Porkchop's going to counsel with you, all right? 911. All right, so the idea is that the Old Testament law says don't murder. Jesus says this to us. He wants more relationally, he wants more from your relationships than for you not to kill each other. Hallelujah. See, what we would justify according to just what the Old Testament law says in Exodus 20, we would say this. Hey, I hate and despise this person over here. I won't speak to them. I won't make eye contact with them. I don't love them. I don't care for them. I wish wrong for them, harm for them, but I ain't killed them, so I'm good. So Jesus then shows us that God is relational, and he wants more in our relationships than just simply check it off to say, I ain't killed you. Praise God, I ain't killed you, right? So here's what Jesus says. Our struggle here is this, is that we have these feelings that are going on, right? 
You ever have anger feelings? Raise your hand if you have had anger feelings this week. Pentecostal, anger feelings? Anger feelings. And so what Jesus identifies here is this. How many of you have recognized in your life that your anger feelings seem to grow? You ever seen that? My anger feelings grow, right? Have any of you ever, in any kind of way, taken out your anger on someone that was not involved in producing your anger? Let me rephrase that. How many of y'all are married? Right? Okay? So here's what Jesus says to us here is this. I'm a sinner. When someone angers me, I get, what's the word? I'm looking, angry. I get angry. And then I don't let it go. Naturally, I don't just let it go. So well, you just let it go. I don't let it go, but instead I begin to think about that issue. I begin to think about how they wronged me. I begin to think about how mad I am that they wronged me. And then I get madder and madder and madder. So I begin to think. Now here's our natural, sinful tendency. I'm going to react now. I'm going to react, right? If my wife were to say something to me and make me mad, here's, as a sinner, how I, free of the influence of Jesus in my life, here's how I would respond. I'm going to see if I can first say something possibly about her. That's how we, as sinners, we respond apart from Jesus. When someone angers us, we typically let the anger, our feeling, grow inside of us. And now here's what we want to do. Brace yourself. I don't want to be the only one who sees how wrong she is. I want to share that love with others. You with me? So then I'm going to text Porkchop, and I'm going to text Cole, and I'm going to tell them, hey, what someone did. You ever use that word, Someone? Well, some people need to stop, blah, 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 blah. Well, some people need to mind their own business. You ever do that? Let me rephrase the question. Y'all have Facebook? So we have this anger issue that gets inside of me, and then it begins to, my feelings begin to grow unchecked by the Holy Spirit. I won't allow the Holy Spirit to influence me or to speak truth into my life and as a sinner i began to say i'm going to get somebody else involved with this so now i can i can say well well now i've got what justification in my anger pork chop said it's okay to be mad cole said he'd be madder than i'm mad well i can oh i'm not gonna be not gonna let him be madder than i am so now here's what happened i've involved other people in my feelings and they're fueling the fire baby right and so now, I've got some Yahoo in my life that's speaking untruths into my life relationally, and so what do I do? What do I do? Now I'm fueled up to this point where I say, well, I'm going to say something back to her. Because as sinners, we believe this lie from Satan that if we hurt someone who hurt us, that makes things equivalent, equal, settles the score. Think, brother. Has that ever proven to be accurate in your life? That someone's hurt you and then you've retaliated and hurt them back and that made things right? Y'all ever experienced that? I've never experienced that. 
So now I've hurt my wife. What's that done? It's made her angry. So she's going to do what? She's going to text some friends. She's going to go maybe to social media. She's going to get go back maybe to mom-in-law, right? Something like that. And then she's going to come back at me bigger and stronger. When does it end? When does it end? When does it end? Somebody gets murdered. It's what Jesus is saying to us. It keeps going and going and going and going and going and building and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And if you don't allow God to intervene, who is a relational God who sent His Son to die for your sins, if you don't let Him get involved by His Holy Spirit, let me tell you, it's not going to stop. You will not win relationally as long as you are a sinner responding in sin with anger. It grows. So here's what Jesus says. You ready? So Jesus tells us this value, and he tells us that we're supposed to, number one, value relationship. Value relationship. Get this. He says, my priorities when I am a kingdom member go something like this. I have God as my Father through Jesus who is my Savior by His Holy Spirit who is inside of me guiding me to become more like Him. That's my number one priority. So then underneath that kingdom heading, what happens in my life is this. I need to see relationship as being more important than my feelings. You see, backtrack with me. If my wife were to say something to hurt me, unintentionally, of course, but she says something that hurts me, because I'm a kingdom member, here's my responsibility. I value the relationship I have with my wife. But first and foremost, I value the relationship I have with my Savior. So brothers and sisters, I tell you, this is gospel as I understand it. You ready? So when my wife, if she were to say something to hurt me, I tell Jesus on her. I go to Jesus and I say, Lord Jesus, would you help me in this situation? Would you help me in this relationship? I know that relationships are valuable here. And Lord, I want to honor you. I got to think. I want to honor you in this relationship. So now what's happening is this. I've surrendered my feelings, my sinfulness, my struggle, my actions that have not yet taken place. I've surrendered all that to my king. And I say to my king, I want my marriage to honor you. I want my relationship with my coworkers to honor you. I want my relationship with my students mm, to honor you. I want this to happen, God. And I can't do it apart from you. But I value this relationship. I value this relationship, God, because you've given me this relationship. And you've given me this relationship for a purpose because in this relationship is how I'm going to grow and to stop being as big a sinner as I am and start living redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So he says that I value relationships. That's where he can say this. Now look with me again. So that's why he can say this. Watch in verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, you're worshiping. You're doing something important. But God reveals to you that you have a relational break. He says, verse 24, 
Leave your gift there. What that emphasizes for us is this, is the priority of relationship. The priority of relationship. And we have a lot of verses that we could go to, we could look at, but again, I want to encourage you this morning, I want to ask you just to think about this. When it comes to your relationships with other people, do you value them? My neighbor told me one time, and not my neighbor I have now, so I, I'll share this with you, it's from my past. My neighbor told me one time, I had a push mower, Doc, and he, he called me, came to my door, Trent, came to my door, and he, he, he said, hey, come out here, I want to show you something, all right? It's July in Georgia, so that was, that's what I wanted to do. So I walked out in the yard, and he took me to the property line, and he said, look at this right here. He said, you mowed a full mower's length, which is this much, a full mower's length over into my yard. I promise you folks, I did not know how to respond to that. All right? All right, <laughs> yes. So, you know, theologically, I came up with this. You know? Which was a feat of Jesus working in my life because I had some thoughts in my head. I had some feelings going on inside of me. That involved a who cares, what's wrong with you, a lot of things like that going on. And you see, we don't always do this perfectly, do we? But Jesus is telling us here this. He says, listen, before you let your anger feelings grow into something that's going to be worse, value this relationship. So I had to begin to think and say, okay, what kind of relationship do I want to have with this guy? What's the purpose of this relationship? What do I want to see happen in this relationship? Do I want to have a relationship with him where he sees Jesus inside of me? How could I possibly do this? Here's how I could possibly do this. The dude knocked on my door and asked me to come out into the yards, and he initiated a conversation. See the benefit of that? So what we see here, folks, is this. Relationships, the Bible does not give us a perfect step-by-step -step guide if Thou shalt mow 24 inches into thy neighbor's yard. I don't have that, and I don't need that. I need Jesus. And I need to get with Jesus, and I need to see his example, and I need to ask, by the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord, am I valuing relationships the way you value relationships? Am I valuing relationships the way that you value relationships? Or have I let my feelings, which are sinful in nature, be elevated to this point where I've convinced myself it's okay. I've convinced myself foolishly that it's okay to have broken relationships with other believers. Jesus doesn't support that. Second thing he says here is this. He gets into, you say, well, well that was a good one, Brother Casey. Let's go home. He gets into lust. Let's talk about that just for a second, all right? Join with me here, verse 27. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust... Sorry. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, can I encourage you before you ever quote this to someone that you actually study this passage of Scripture? If your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away for it is better for you to lose of your uh, one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away 
For if he's speaking literally there, by the way, I got some problems. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So let's put this through the chart here and just see if we can kind of understand what Jesus is saying. He tells us this. He says, don't commit adultery. And we would possibly look at that and say, check. I know that I've not committed adultery, so relationally I'm right where God wants me to be. So we would then say, let's move forward. Jesus says there's more. There's actually more to relationships between male and female than simply did you commit the act of adultery. Jesus goes on. He says, here's our struggle. A look grows. A look grows. We look and we like, which is a feeling word. We like what we see. And so then we begin to dwell on what we like. And those are sinful dwellings, if you will. And then we let this sin build up inside of us and it grows and grows and grows until we act. Maybe we don't act directly against the initial person that we lusted after. Maybe we begin to go to another outlet. Maybe we begin to go to another flirtatious conversation. Maybe we begin to go to the internet and we begin to say, hey, my feelings have welled up inside of me, all right? And we say, hey, I've got to take some kind of action. Now, one of the arguments that's been posed to me is, well, God made me a man. I love it when guys come and tell me that, right? Because I usually do this, you know. Oh, really? God made me a man too. God made me a man too, right? If I need to share that with the church, God made me a man. And what we understand here is this. We look at, not if we're male or female, that's a, that is an important debate, apparently, in our culture for another time. But today we see this. God made us male and female. And as he made us male and female, we are all sinners. We're all sinners. Every one of us. And so Jesus does not discount our struggle, but he tells us this. Be aware that as a man, you will have sinful feelings or be tempted at least to have sinful feelings towards the opposite sex. As a woman, same thing's true for you ladies. So what we see here then is this, is that if we allow those sinful feelings to go unchecked, and we just begin to pursue those passions however we want to, and we leave God out of it, our king gets cut out of it completely, then that does begin to build and grow until we are in this act of adultery. Or we're in this act of committing sexual acts outside of the will of God. So as we see that, Jesus tells us this. He says, what do we do? What do we do? We value the person. Scripture would tell us this. That God has a specific plan for every man and every woman on the face of this earth. Within that plan, the Scripture would reveal to us that for each and every person alive, God also has a specific way He wants us to interact and relate to each other as male and female. So therefore, God's plan also instructs us to say, sexually, God has not an opinion, but He has a lordship over me as a sexual being. He's my king over every aspect of who I am. 
And when he's our king over every aspect of who we are, then what he begins to speak to in our lives is he says this, I want you to honor me as the sexual being that you were created by me to be. Say, well, I'm just, we're, we're just, we're just, we're just acting like we're married. Yeah? Stop. Either be married or don't. Because you were created by God and your king has a plan for you. Come in today and understand. There are singles who come and they say, well, I just I don't know how this text applies to me. Trust me, it does. It does. Here's how. God has created you. And the place that you're at right now, he's guided you in that. And he's not through guiding you. He's not through working in your life. And so as he has a plan for you, he has a plan for you today about how you can honor him in the sexual interactions that you have with the opposite sex. So, well, I can't find in the Bible. I mean, at school, they were talking about this. And I was, I didn't know what it was. So I looked to God's word. Listen, it's probably not in there the way you want to find it in there. But let me say this to you. God wants to be your king. Jesus is your example. Honor him. It's not easy, is it? So our struggle here then is that it's going to grow. And what we have to learn to do is this. We see that God has created every individual for a purpose. He's created every individual for a purpose. And as we begin to see that person, we they're not looking at them as if we're looking at a menu. But instead, we begin to see this person and we begin to think about what is God's plan for their lives? If God has blessed you, and can I reveal this to you? Can I share with you what Scripture would say, specifically in, in Hebrews 12 and, the, and 13? What Scripture would say for us here is this, is that I have been blessed in my life. Part of God's plan is that I would be a married man. He has orchestrated those things, led me to that, brought a woman into my life, blessed me with that. And so in that covenant commitment, what I see is this. As I'm living in this relationship with God, God has said specifically that I'm to keep my marriage bed undefiled. Undefiled. And that means this is that sexually God has a plan for me, and that plan is that I would have one woman and I would have sexual thoughts about one woman and I would be sexually drawn to one woman, and does that mean I'm blind? No, it means I'm committed. I have a covenant commitment between myself and my wife in which God was the one that orchestrated that. God was the one that oversaw that. God's the one that's working in my life in that way. So now I see the person who is my wife. And I see God's plan for her. God's plan for her is to be blessed within our marriage. God's plan for her is that she would be able to trust my commitment to her because God's involved with it. So we see that, again, maybe that sounded better, right? We just have Old Testament, New Testament, we just in that male, female. Wouldn't that be a lot easier? No, we have an example of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, church, I want to encourage you, that as we think about the example of Jesus Christ, that you do engage in thinking. So here's some very real help for you. You ready? Today, you maybe you enter and you say, hey, I've got some anger issues, some serious anger issues, and I can't get them under control. I don't know what to do. Can I invite you to see Jesus Christ in that? 
to see Jesus Christ in that. And when you sense that you're getting angry, when you sense that you're offended, when you sense that you've been attacked, you've been wronged, whatever your case might be, can I invite you to select? Maybe you want to find, use the back of your Bible if necessary, or we can help you here with this if possible. But find a specific verse of Scripture, passage of Scripture. Commit that to memory. Write that on a note card. I've got a series of note cards at my house that will blow your mind with verses written on them. And when you are tempted, allow your mind to say, okay, in this anger situation, I want to retaliate, but I want God to be honored in my life. So I'll look at this passage of Scripture. I'm going to think intentionally, what has God said for this issue? What do I do in this relationship? What am I supposed to do to honor Him in this relationship? Take it to God. Maybe you come today and you say, hey, I can't stop looking at the things that I know I shouldn't be looking at. I can't, and I'm created by God, and therefore I'm drawn to certain temptations. I'm drawn to certain sexual temptations. And can I encourage you? Same kind of concept. I'm not making light of it. I know it's not easy. Can't wave a magic wand here. But what we would say is this. We have the Word of God, and we say, hey, commit yourself to the Word of God to say, I'm going to find a passage of Scripture that helps me. When I see in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has seized me except what is common to man, but when I am tempted, that God will provide for me a way of escape. I commit things like that to memory so that when I am tempted, and I will be tempted, I'm able to go to God's Word, I'm able to claim God's Word, And I begin to pray it back to him. God, you promise that in this situation where I failed you, where I'm a sinner, I promise that my heart is for you to be my king. Would you be honored in this relationship? Would you help me see this person that I'm looking at or this this concept of being created as valuable and perfect and intentional in God's image? So as you come, maybe these are the two things. This is where we'll stop today. These are the two things that we look at, these two issues, and they're big ones. And we just don't have enough of, if you will, we don't have enough specific things from Scripture to say, I know what to do in every situation. Here's why. God invites you to know Him. Would you pray with me? Our Father in Heaven, Lord, we live in a world that is filled with real relational struggles. And God, as we live in that world, you call us to live for you. So Lord, we need help. I confess with my brothers and sisters present here this morning, just in the two we've looked at, we need help, God. It's more than just knowing right from wrong, God. We need help as we face these feelings that well up inside of us, as we begin to reach out and sinfully we involve others in unhealthy ways, God, help us. Lord, lead us first and foremost to turn from our sin, to identify it as being unglorifying, disgraceful to you. And God, as we are in there and we we recognize our sin, we also, we ask that you would remind us of your forgiveness, that you draw us not to shame, but you draw us to forgiveness. And so, Lord, today as we see these two issues, we recognize our struggle and we cry out for your help. Church, this morning as the praise team begins to play, I want to always, in the spirit of prayer, Close our services 
with an opportunity for you to respond. I recognize that there is um, there's a cultural challenge that we have this morning. And sometimes we say, well, if I, if I go forward, then people are going to see me as going forward and they're going to begin to assume that I have a lust problem or that I have an anger problem. And church, can I invite you? My heart is to say this to you. I have a lust problem and I have an anger problem as your pastor. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And so I have the flesh working against me. I got my adversary, the devil, who hates me. I've got all kinds of distractions from this world who lives according to the worldly ways. Man, can I invite you this morning? Can we be real in our struggle together to say we are sinners? And can we begin to draw together around Jesus Christ? So this morning, I'm going to invite you to close out our service just a little bit different. This morning, of course, the altar is always open for you if you feel led to take advantage of that. But I want to do what we would call a horizontal invitation. And what I mean by that is this. I want to encourage you. If you're struggling this morning with these two things, or maybe not struggling with these two things, maybe your struggle is something else. Can I invite you to move during the song and maybe, maybe seek out a friend? Maybe seek out a friend just to say, hey, I've got this going on this week. Would you pray for me? Or maybe you want to seek out a friend and you want to say, hey, I am struggling with some things and I can't share them this morning, but would you pray for me? And just seek out a friend that maybe you would just have a very brief share prayer time together. As we conclude, I invite you, as God leads you, to not struggle alone. As you face whatever you're facing this week, would you begin to think with me about what honors and glorifies God and also begin to share that with someone else, to invite someone into your life spiritually, to invite somebody to come and to be a part of praying for you and encouraging you and walking with you through this challenge of being honoring in every way to Jesus. So, church, I invite you, would you stand to your feet? You're not, of course, required to move in any kind of way, but if the Lord's laid upon your heart, hey, I just want to seek somebody out and share with them. I just want to pray together with somebody for a moment. The praise team's going to begin to sing, and you're welcome to join with them, sing along. But as we just have a unique time of worship, we want to have a time where it's community worship. Would you be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit leads you? As a praise team leads, you respond.